It was the winter of 2014. Anyone remember that? Okay, maybe you know where I'm going. My wife and I lived down the street in uh, a condo that we sold a couple years ago, and the driveway was great. It was, it was this wide driveway. It had five parking spots in it. And so lots of room for parking. It's awesome. Until the snow came. Now, you know, shoveling the driveway is hard enough work, but the hardest part about shoveling a driveway is the end of the driveway, right? Because as the plows go by, it piles up all that hard, kind of mushy or crunchy or really the heavy stuff on the end of your driveway. So I can remember going out there for one of the bigger storms in 2014, and you get the whole thing shoveled. You, 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 you sit there and you go, okay, this is a five-car-wide driveway, so with nowhere really to put the snow because of just neighbors on either side and stuff like that. So I, I get through, I shovel this whole driveway out, you know, clear all that stuff where the snow had plowed. I'm ahead of the game. You know, I'm feeling good. I go inside. Only to realize that, you know, the plows kind of keep going even after the storm is over. And so you go back out and you realize everything that I just did with the hardest part of this five-car wide driveway has now been erased because there's a two-foot pile of crunchy snow again that I'm going to have to deal with. Often in life, we feel a sense of futility. We think that the things that we are doing, they have no purpose or they're accomplishing nothing. I mentioned kind of this idea to my wife in passing, and she mentioned, yes, like all of those toys that I pick up every day over and over because magically somehow they end up on the floor again, right? On a more serious side, one of the things that the Germans did in one of their kind of, you know, death camps or prison camps was they, they forced the prisoners to go out and work two shifts, like two four-hour-long shifts during the day, and they would make them dig a hole and then fill it back in again. And then dig a hole and fill it back in again just to crush their morale. It was also said in this Wikipedia article, highly reliable source, uh, they would have them build walls and then just tear the walls down. All in a sense to, to build this feeling of futility that what they did had no purpose. It accomplished absolutely nothing. And maybe you're here today feeling like that's your everyday life. You feel that way maybe about your job. Maybe you feel like I'm going nowhere. I'm not certain where I'm headed. Or you can't, you can't get traction to move forward in certain areas of your life. You, you feel this sense of, you know, inability to move forward. We're going through a series uh, that we're calling The Church Runs on Faith, Hope, and Love. 
And the idea is that what moves us forward as individuals, but also as a people, is three things. Faith, hope, and love. We see these three themes weaved throughout the Apostle Paul or St. Paul's letter to the, first, to the Thessalonians. Sorry, it's not to the first Thessalonians. It's the first letter to the Thessalonians, right? He wrote two of them, at least, that we have on record. And he, he planted this church. In other words, he started a, a, a church, a group of people that he gathered together in a really short amount of time. In the book of Acts, that is what the book that kind of tells the story of what happens after Jesus dies and is resurrected. It talks about how he was there preaching in the synagogue for three Sabbaths. So maximum, right, four weeks. You know, if you kind of like came on a Sunday and then left on a Friday, so to speak. And people talk about maybe it could have been a little bit longer than that, but he stopped teaching after three weeks. But all that to say, he was there for a short amount of time. And in that, we see a church that gets launched that he is praising in this letter that's, that's actually, scholars also think, is the shortest distance between uh, a church being started and a letter being written in the New Testament. So he's, he's planted this church in a very short amount of time. He started a church, and now he's writing in a very short amount of time after that. And he's praising them. He, he, he's saying, man, you guys are doing awesome. You're, you're an example to the believers. Your faith, as we saw in chapter 1 last week, is like resounding to the areas around you, and it's known everywhere. And he's using that, you know, hyperbole. But people are knowing about this church. So the question that we're asking is, what did Paul do or what happened or what did they do that allowed such an acceleration of progress in their own lives from people that were you know, far from God to receiving this truth to, to be, being a, an example of a church to those around them? And that wasn't always the case in all of these letters, especially some of the longer ones, right? 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. There's a lot, of, a lot of stuff there for Paul to deal with. So here's what we're going to see today. In the second chapter of this book, 1 Thessalonians, Paul is talking about why his time there was not in vain. Why it was not a a futile effort when he got there, but in fact, it was the opposite. It was a season of accelerated growth for these individuals and this group of believers. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to read the majority of chapter 2 today, and next week we're going we're gonna to pick up at the end of that and go through chapter 3. So this is First Thessalonians. That's way in the back of the Bible. Not quite to the end, but almost. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, or brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. Praise the Lord. But though we had already suffered and been shamely treated at Philippi, as, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal, it does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God's our witness. God's a witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. 
So Paul starts out this section, and he, he's saying it is faith. It is our deep conviction in the gospel, the message of God, that pushed us to share it with you, and not in a way that was any benefit to us, but was totally focused on you and on what we are accountable to for God. It is faith that moves us forward. This is what Paul says, a quick summary, just kind of putting it in my own words here. They're driven to share the gospel from a place of deep conviction. Their belief in the importance of their message and the truth of their message, their belief in that, their trust that this was the very words of God, right? It caused them to share the gospel boldly, even though they had just come from a place of persecution and then they experienced it and were actually had to flee the city of Thessalonica, which is in eastern Greece. They had to flee. They shared it boldly because of the conviction in their hearts. They did not share it in order to deceive them or to trick them or to somehow like make money off of them or to fool them into you know, buying the next great product that you don't need. Okay, They're saying, we didn't do that. And they weren't even trying to please people. They were saying, we are doing this because we know that this is true and we're now accountable to God who's revealed the truth of it to us. We're not trying to gain even recognition from you to be the next cool, super Christian in town and look at all the followers I can gather around me and then I can control and manipulate you and get you to do what I want, right? That never happens in the church, but hypothetically speaking, okay? Hey, God bless the bride of Christ. We, we, we all have issues, okay? So the point is they're doing this out of deep conviction and obedience to God. It comes from a deep-rooted faith. Both trust in God, right, that he's going to take care of them even in the midst of persecution and a deep conviction that this message is truth and it has to get out. We meet in a school. I was a teacher for 10 years. And oftentimes I see uh, there's teachers that come into the, into the school while we're here. And many of them have, have been, I think, from what the... The custodians have told us they've been grateful to have the time on Sunday mornings to often prepare. I never came in on a Sunday morning in 10 years of teaching. Now, part of that's because I was a math teacher. If there's anything you want to teach and do the least amount of prep, it's math in high school, okay? <laughs> Elementary teachers, they got, it, they got it tough. The point is, like, what would drive someone to come in on a Sunday morning to prepare their classroom, right, to get it ready for kids on Monday, especially if they're tenured? And there's no risk of them getting fired from their job, right? It's because of a deep conviction that what they're doing matters. It's not surprising if you know the reputation of our school here that we're in. From what I understand, it's one of the top performing schools even in our city, amongst elementary schools when they compare all those standardized tests that everyone loves. Okay, teacher joke. Try that one again later. Okay, all right. Thanks, man. Okay. Right, the point is there's, there's, there's a deep belief there. There's a belief underlying the action that is driving them to give up time that they could be you know, going to church or you know, lounging or going out to meal. I mean, whatever they could be doing that's saying, I'm going to come early and get my, my classroom ready. Okay? It is faith that moves us forward. We all have a, a, an idea of belief, right? And as we talked about last week, one of the questions we have to ask is whether you're a follower of Jesus or not is, is the system of belief that I'm following, is it leading me to where I want to be going? 
Is it, is, it, is it guiding me along a path that is helping me become the person that I want to be? And that's a question. Now, just to summarize this message that the apostles are bringing, I would use three words. It's this. It's relationship, brokenness, and restoration. The message of the Bible is that we were created for relationship. Wonderful relationship with each other. Harmonious marriages, deep friendships, great relationships between kids and parents, extended families that all are loving on each other. We were created for self-love, a healthy relationship with ourself, a positive self-image. And a healthy relationship with our world, that this would be a place where, you know, the earth itself would thrive and the systems of government would be healthy and take care of the people and promote justice and on and on and on. That's not exactly the world that we live in, though, is it? And the Bible has an answer for why. It does not shy away from the fact that there is pain and suffering and evil and darkness and horror in this earth. And it says that God made the world good, but he made men with a freeness, a freedom to choose to follow him or not. And unfortunately for this world, we chose as people to not follow the way of God, the way of love, but instead chose the way of selfishness, the way the Bible says, the way of sin. here's where the good news comes in. And that is the phrase that the Bible uses to describe what the word I've been saying, the gospel. That's what it means. The good news is that God is love. Above anything else that you could use to describe him, God is love. And because of that, he sent Jesus to become a man, to enter the darkness of this world, the sin, the evil, the brokenness, so that he could redeem it. And he did that by not resisting the evil person, by loving his enemies even unto death. So that when the Jews put him to death and the Romans put him to death on a cross, God in his victory raised Jesus from the dead. That is the victory of God. That is the victory of Christianity. It is the message of the gospel that God entered our brokenness. He took the sin of the world upon himself, took it into the grave and buried it and rose to newness of life. And everyone that puts their faith in Jesus as Lord of all receives forgiveness for every sin, past, present, and future. Absolute forgiveness. There's no condemnation. There's no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. They receive freedom all of you that have been in church for a long time, you also get freedom from the power of sin in your life. The Bible says Jesus died and we died with him. I was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. I'll stop singing. You get it? Reckon yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
That is the walk of a Christian. And let me tell you, it is awesome to be a follower of Jesus. Because the power of God is within us to transform us. And God says we need to realize that we are free. We do not have to sin any longer. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. The message of the gospel. Amen? Amen. The third thing that we get, all for free, is being filled with the Spirit of God. The, the, the writers in the Bible go so far as to say that those who are joined to the Lord are one spirit with Him. I don't know how you can get any closer than that. Right? The Bible uses an analogy of a marriage to describe the people of God and our relationship with God through what Jesus has done. He says He's made us sons and daughters. He's put His Spirit on us. He's put His Spirit in us. But even more than that, we've been joined and made one Spirit. It's absolutely amazing so that we get to release heaven all around us. And the power of God can flow through us because His Holy Spirit is within us. This is good news. This is the good news. This is the best news that's ever been shared. This is the message of the Bible. And so the question, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, is could that be true? That's what the Bible says. The challenge is, do I believe it? And for the rest of us, even as believers, it's actually also the same question. If we believe that that really is a reality. Let's go on to verse 7. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, which we just talked about, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you. Isn't that amazing? Not even every single one of you, right? And encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We see love, right? The church runs on faith, hope, and love. And here Paul's saying, we didn't just preach this message to you. We shared our lives with you. He uses two analogies. He says, we were like a mother to her nursing children, Right? It doesn't say like a mother nursing her children. It just says like a mother with the children that she is nursing. So nursing is a part of that. But it's also just the tender care that a little child needs. You know, you have to like force them to eat and sleep. I mean, these essential things for them to live, you have to like get them to do. Okay, there's no frustration there, okay? But you, you see the picture that he's saying, this gentleness, like a mother with her child. That's how we were with you. And he's saying, listen, our conduct with you, was, you know, was, was blameless in every way. We were just working not to offend anyone, but to care for you. And then he says, and then at the end he says, we were like a father, guiding his children, teaching them, training them, showing them how to live. It's incredible. So that's kind of the first piece of that relational love that allowed the message to be received, but then also to be built upon through love, right? It's faith and love. 
And through that, he also says they, they worked hard. I mean, the assumption here I'm making is that, you know, Paul is known that he was a maker of tents. And so while he was with them, he's probably still doing his business on the side. So he didn't have to, like, take money from this church. Not that that would have been wrong for him. But he was doing that in a way to show them care. He's not burdening them with his own physical needs. And so Paul's just saying this was the winning combination. This is what made it that our efforts were not in vain as he starts the letter. It was our extreme faith in believing the message of the gospel, trusting God to take care of us amidst persecution, and doing it not out of some kind of false motive or manipulation, but also combined with a deep sense of love for them. Guys, that accelerates movement in the church. Bold faith combined with a deep love is like an unstoppable force. It's absolutely incredible. The Bible, Paul elsewhere, goes so far as to say the only thing that counts Sorry, it's getting silly. Almost, the faith expressing itself through love. Come on, Kathy, you're awesome, though. I loved it, Kathy. You read my mind, okay? It's faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith. And how does it express itself? Right? It expresses itself through love. And see, that is the message of the Bible, is that this is the only way. Jesus doesn't pull any punches and say there's many paths to God. Jesus says, I am the path to God. Anyone that loves is born of me, has been born again in me. The path to love, the love that loves enemies, the love that can forgive an abuser, right? The love that can, that can, that can break darkness in people's lives comes from God through Jesus. And when we put our faith in him, that leads to a life of love. And if it's not leading to love, there's a breakdown in what we are believing. Okay. Try not to butcher this name. Anyone ever heard of a guy named Ignaz Semmelweis? There's a reason why. Ignaz, pardon my Hungarian accent, my terrible pronunciation. Okay, he's Hungarian. He's a Hungarian-born man who is attributed with the amazing discovery of hand-washing in hospitals. He had a theory that if they were to wash their hands, it would prevent the spread of this, uh, I think it's called childbed fever or something like that. And so he would have them, his, his, all the people that were working with these different uh, women, I think he was an obstetrician and was working with births and things like that, wash in this kind of chlorine and lime solution in their hands. And wouldn't you know, the rates of mortality from this childbed fever dropped in this hospital in Vienna that he worked in. And so he, starting to see the numbers, like significantly decline once they put this practice into place, he started to like spread the word. The problem was, he started to do it kind of antagonistically. So because it was such a, a like a, a mind-bending idea, it was totally contrary to the, to the the, the, the thought of the day in terms of what would cause sickness, and that was back in the bloodletting days, like in the middle of the 1800s. There was opposition to this idea. And so instead of coming in, in, a, in a place of humility, 
a place of concern for what others, how they might receive this message, he went the direct, antagonistic, aggressive route. And wouldn't you know, it totally backfired. Because all of these people that would have benefited from it rejected it probably because, and some argue because, of his, the way that he went about trying to spread this message. He had data to show it, but because in this peer group of doctors, he went at it in, in, a, in a non-loving manner, it was rejected. And when he died in an insane asylum, because he continued to kind of go crazy as he led down this route, and there may have been some physical illness associated with that, uh, the practice was immediately replaced at this hospital that he worked at, and the rates went right back up to the, what they were for the mortality of these people. But the message was not received because it was not combined with the power of love. Guys, just the message is not enough. Now, our faith, if it is true faith, if we are believing the truth, it always leads to love. But if we see a piece in our hearts of love that is missing, it drives us back to see what is it that we're not getting. Right? Verse 13. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. Amazing statement. By hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Now I want to deal with a sub-point before I get to the main point of this section. The sub-point, Paul goes off on a tangent to describe the persecution that he has suffered at the hands of Jewish leaders. Not only in Jerusalem, which he will eventually go back to and then have to go through this crazy route to appear before Caesar, um, but also in all these cities that he's preaching in where he often starts in the synagogue. They opposed the message. In this city in Thessalonica, they opposed him. And so he fled to this other city, Berea. And they followed him there and continued to oppose the message and try to persecute Paul. This is what he's talking about. And he's saying that they are, they are opposing God, they're displeasing him, and they are, they are standing in the way right, of people, more and more people hearing this message. And so because of that, he says this funny little phrase about what wrath has come upon them at last. Now, this may be a controversial uh, idea, but my perspective would be he's saying that this is the group of people that I'm talking about, and the wrath that's coming upon them is the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. So if you want to know what that's talking about, that is one idea of what it could be. But the point is, is that God's judgment came on the leaders of Jerusalem and all those that would not receive the message of Jesus and flee from that city. Okay, that was a small tangent, but we will come back to that a little bit in this book because it talks a lot about kind of what's coming for the church. The point of all of this is that we see the third piece of hope, right? They, it says they received the word of God, 
which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God. That is an amazing statement. They received it. Their faith was to such a degree and the place that they moved in on love, right? Their, their response to this message of Paul, their response to faith, to um, the gospel and the love of Paul and his team. They responded in such a way that their faith, they received it as the word of God, and that led them to a place of deep hope. So even though immediately this church was experiencing persecution, they did not give up. And Paul's writing this letter a year or two later, and they're still going strong. That's the report that he hears. It's incredible. What's even more interesting is that there wasn't a New Testament when they planted this church. Right? Because he's now writing it in retrospect after that happened. So they received the message. They didn't even have a book to say, okay, and here it is. Here's, here's a little bit of backup for what we're talking about. Like, it's in a book. It's been published. Right? Number one bestseller of all time. It's the Bible. They didn't have that. Right? Paul says in the previous chapter, they, they also saw the power of God in their message. But they received this message. Their hearts lit up when they heard it, and they said, this is the word of God, not just men. And that's a challenge for all of us right now. Whether you're interested in Christianity, maybe, or you're here with a friend and you only know what the deal is, and maybe you're skeptical. That's fair. And maybe you've been in church your whole life. The challenge is, are we going to believe that what the Bible says is true over against my experience. That's not to say that the message of the Bible runs contrary to all of our experience. There's plenty that I believe the Bible is the best explanation out there for why we live in this world. But the challenge is always going to come that there's a doubt about whether or not what God says is true. And that's where we always come back to faith. It leads us to a place of love and ultimately, as we fall in love with God, even as we heard Christy talk about, it grounds us in this hope of what is to come, that Jesus is the one that we long for. Romans 14.23 says, everything that does not come from faith is sin. This is the real challenge for us. If we feel like we're not having the love in our life or we're, we're longing for other things that are going to disappoint at some point, some other hope other than something that's secure, which is Jesus forever, the question is always coming back to, well, what am I really believing? Am I really receiving what God says as the Word of God? So, uh, Ben Hanson, I want to invite you up to share a quick story as we close this message. Ben is a part of our Vision and Values course, and he had an interesting thing happen to him uh, this last week and then uh, this Tuesday. So, Ben, why don't you tell us kind of pre-Tuesday night what was going on in your, in your world, the funness of what was happening. <laughs> so, two weeks ago to this day, um, my son and I were doing some yard work and uh, kind of destroying some trees and things, and... Uh, I didn't know at the time, but I got all sorts of poison ivy and things. And, um, and so I went to bed that night, and I woke up in the morning, and uh, Micah, my son, my seven-year-old, looked at me. He's like, 
Dad, what happened to you? Did you get punched in the face? Because my eye was almost swollen shut, and it was like um, all over my skin and everything. And um, it was incredibly uh, itchy, and I'm a teacher, and I'm like in front of my kids and stuff, and uh, I was so distracted, uh, I just was scratching myself and things like that all over my arms, and... um, I, I felt bad for my wife. I was just, I think I was a bear for the whole week just, um, just because of how uncomfortable I was. And uh, so on Tuesday night, I went to Vision and Values and just still really uncomfortable. Um, and it was hard for me to pay attention and things like that. And finally, at the end, they were praying and I just said, um, I need some people to pray for me because I, I was at my wit's end. And um, and so Brian and this other gentleman prayed for me. And, um, and as they're praying for me, I just, I said, Lord, just help my unbelief and, um, and give me faith to believe that, you know, in everything that's going on in this world, the Lord cares enough to look at me and mm-hmm. say, I want to, I want to take care of you. And, um, and you can ask my wife. Uh, I went home that night, and that was the first night that I slept the whole night through. I wasn't itching myself or anything like that, and I haven't had any inch since then, um, which is was pretty amazing to me and pretty amazing to uh, to Katie and the kids. Um, but just to follow up with that as well, I was hesitant even to come up and and share. And um, and Katie, in her infinite wisdom, said, "Ben, it's it's not about you." It's about the church, and it's about sharing what, what God has done. And when people step out in faith and believe, um, God is freed up to do things. And, um, and so that's why I wanted to share that, uh, the testimony um, about, about what he did. So praise the Lord. Amen. It's pretty awesome. Thanks, Ben, for sharing that. Give him a hand. So here's the challenge, guys, as we, as we close. You can, do, you can do four things with that testimony. You can say, that guy's lying. I don't believe it. You can say, total coincidence. Me and this other guy, Clark, prayed for him, and it, was, it stopped ditching. Just luck of the draw. I mean, we got so lucky. We just timed it just when, you know, somehow randomly that was going to happen. You could say a third thing. Yeah, God did that, but that's just one of those rare times that God wants to intervene in our lives, and that's probably not going to happen for me. Or you can say, Jesus is Lord, and he has power. And our faith, as Ben said, releases heaven to move all around us. It releases the love of God into our lives. The more we believe that God loves us, and that, that grounds us in a hope, right, that is unshakable when hard times come. So today we're going, let's have the band come back up. The question that I want you to leave you with as we respond is, God, is there a peace that I, am, that I am not believing about the gospel? Is there something, or, or the gospel to, for me, something about your power that I'm not believing? Or something about your goodness? What, it, what is it for me today? What's the peace for me that is, is a place of, 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 a, of a gap in my faith? Now, just to say, this is not a condemnation. We're all just trying to move forward with the Lord. And we've all got this, right? I need to ask the question too, okay? If I can do that enough, you know, as I'm distracted, doing all this stuff, right? But that's the question we want to ask. 
So I just invite you guys to, to stand. You can feel free to also sit if you're more comfortable. We're going to sing, and we have one song of response. We're going to ask the response uh, teams to come forward as well if you want to pray with somebody else. And just ask God that simple question and wait for him to answer. God, is there something that I'm not believing that is true? Okay, so let's stand and sing, and then we're going to close in a few moments with communion.